Welcome to Witches Library, a podcast brought to you by Lovely Weirdos. I am Lovely Weirdo Jules Duquette. I'm Lovely Weirdo Katie Duquette. Yes, she is. And I also happen to be Jules' mom. Yes, she is. <laughs> Today we are going to be discussing Legacy of Magic, which is one of our book club picks. So we encourage you to read these books for yourself and then come listen to the podcast episode on said book so that we can discuss it and see if you agree with us. If you have different opinions, you can pop them into comments or leave us a voice message via Anchor. Let's get started. First off, I'm just going to read the book cover of Legacy of Magic straight from Amazon, which seems to be the only blurb I've found online. She doesn't actually have a lot of times authors on their author website will have separate write-ups that are a little bit different sometimes from the book covers. Ellen Dugan does not have that. So it's a little different. Here it is. So it turns out magic runs in the family. Autumn Bishop was just your average grad student who happens to be a seer. When she moves in with her long lost aunt and cousins, they look like a relatively normal family from the outside. However, they turn out to be so much more. With ancient traditions, long-standing magical feuds, ghostly, bitter, ghostly visitors, and witches with malicious intentions start coming out of the woodwork. Autumn finds herself smack in the middle of the action as everything she thought she knew is turned upside down. Drawn as if by fate into her family's legacy of magic, a new world unfolds for her as her old one is left irretrievably behind. Two things I'm going to notice that I'm going to mention right off the bat. One is one of our huge pet peeves of the entire book which is that it is mislabeled in genre, in yes. our opinion and in most people's opinion. And that's proven by this book excerpt because romance is not in that book blurb at all. It's not even an innuendo of the book blurb. And there is no mention of a man at all in this section. Good point. Two is that it shows grade levels, which I think is actually interesting. I, I think that happens on any Amazon book and the grade level or age level is adult 18 and over or grade 12 up. That is so weird. It is really weird. So Amazon classifies this. And I believe because this seems to be, um, so Garden Witch Press, and I don't know if that's a lot of times uh, self-publishing authors will have their own publishing house, quote unquote. So I don't know if that's her own publishing house or if there's a separate publishing house, but all of her books are on Kindle Unlimited, which a lot of times means that they were self-published through KDP. Mm -hmm. But these rank, these uh, genres are chosen by authors or the publishing house. And the genres included are paranormal ghost romance, paranormal witches and wizards romance, and paranormal romance books, which really is not at all involved with the book story. No. And it's not at all what this book talks about. The interesting thing is doing a little more research into Ellen Dugan, because this was her first fiction novel. Right. But it is not her last. So Legacy of Magic has 10 novels in it currently. I don't know if she's planning to continue further or if 10 is where she's cutting it. But she also has a trilogy, uh, a paranormal fiction trilogy, and she also has a Gypsy Chronicles series and a Daughters of Midnight series. And the interesting thing with those is, for instance, Gypsy Spirit or Gypsy Chronicles, the first book obviously is involved with romance um, because it actually mentions a man on the cover. <laughs> 
there you go. So there's that. And similarly with this book blurb for Midnight Gardens, which is Daughters of Midnight Book One, it talks about Drusilla Midnight being recently divorced. And it talks about Garrett Rivers seems to constantly interrupt Drew's master plan for solitary soul searching. Now that's something you would expect to see on a romance book cover. Well, I'm wondering if they weren't trying to put a genre that was going to cover everything she does. And so far, that particular one that we were reading wasn't fitting that yet. Except for the fact that that was the first one she ever published. Right. But if she had ideas in her mind's eye of what she where right. she wanted to go and had talked okay, to her I publisher about it. I see what you mean. If, if, if she is, in fact having a outside publisher help right. her with these books. She's saying she wants to be a paranormal romance writer. So that's what they genre her entire right. catalog as. I see what you're saying. That's possible because all the other books definitely seem more geared that way um, versus the Legacy of Magic series. So that that might actually be what was going on because honestly, they they this series just is not... No. A romance series. No, it isn't. It goes into other characters. And from the book blurbs, the book covers of the other books in the series, none of them really talk about romance. True. I just wonder if perhaps she was concerned that people wouldn't be able to find her books if she had them in more than one genre. Yeah. Because of her name. You know, she wants her author, you know, her name is an author to be found in one genre. That's possible. I definitely think that's a that's a possibility. And it would kind of make sense even if you were going for like a broader topic. And that could explain how all of them are kind of under the same label. Right. Under Paranormal Romance. And it is odd because from what I can tell of the other three series that she has, the other three series do sound like they are more legitimate paranormal romance. And under her tag or her series list, it actually says paranormal fiction series, not paranormal romance series, even though everything except for Legacy of Magic does appear to be romance. Right. I kind of think that might have been it. And she probably just had ideas in her head of, of many different you yeah. know, ideas that she wanted to go down the uh, path of. But either way, I think that they would do much better with a series if they properly genred. Oh, I agree. This book, because really, in our opinion, it reads like a young adult it fiction does. novel, and it doesn't read like even a young adult romance novel. It really reads just like general young adult paranormal fiction. Right. Exactly. Which, again, if, if it had been put in that genre, I think a lot of people that had somewhat negative reviews on it wouldn't have probably read the book if that's what they were looking for. Correct. Or would have put it in a different concept in their mind. Because in our head, like, as a paranormal romance book, this is like a 2.5 at best out of 5 versus a young adult paranormal fiction book. I would say this is about a 4 star. But couldn't it be cross, you know, uh, genre? Yeah, definitely. And that's, I think, also a thing that's frustrating is with Amazon, I think you can put your book into like four or five different categories, depending on what your keywords are, I think is how it works. So yeah, there's no reason that she shouldn't be able to put this in adult paranormal fiction as well as young adult. That's what I was thinking. Though I don't think that's 
typical because a lot of adults read young adult if they're not looking for, you know, gratuitous sex scenes or whatever, <laughs> like we often do. So they don't want any of that uh, nice smut. Yeah. They're not looking for smut <laughs> because they're boring. <laughs> then... Or they have an exciting sex life of their own. Oh, yeah, I guess that's... Do those people exist? I think so. We're not those people. Not right now. Our only sexual interaction is through our reading. So, (laughs) and again, it's not even really a slow burn romance. The romance in this book is really kind of just taken for granted. It's just kind of there in the beginning, I think, if anything, just to move the plot forward and give us a reason to partially care about a family feud. I just feel like he is so (laughs) flat a character. He's just, so bland. Well, to me, it's like cardboard flat. There just is no, you know what I mean? <laughs> they do. The, the, the character needs to be rounded out to, yeah. to create a real person. And right now it's cardboard flat. It is. And I'm just going to give a little background to on again, Ellen Dugan herself, because this is her first fiction novel. So already, like if I see whether she's an accomplished author in other genres, like nonfiction, or not, as soon as I see this is their first fiction attempt, yeah. I'm going to definitely give some leeway because it's, I think writing is definitely one of those things that you just kind of have to experience and you're just going to get better at with time. I so agree. of course, if it's your first attempt, I don't think most people are going to expect this to be the best paranormal fiction book they ever read and you're going to give them a little leeway on on inconsistencies or you know maybe they're doing more tell than show which is definitely something she does a lot in this book you're going to give a little leeway but she has written at least 16 nonfiction books she's run one awards for a couple of different of books of hers and she has been a practicing wicca practitioner for about 35 years at this point and she's a psychic clairvoyant so she has a very well-versed background in witchcraft and wicca yes uh, which is definitely evident in this series i don't i can't speak on her other series because i've only read the first two books of legacy of magic but in legacy of magic she definitely heavily peppers uh witchcraft throughout and wicca Because there are certain parts that are definitely not core tenets of witchcraft, the craft, but are core tenets currently of Wicca, the religion Wicca. Right. So you'll see she talks. I don't think they actually use. Do they ever use it? The Wiccan read or rule of three? I don't know if they use that exact wording or not. I don't think so. Not that I recall. I think they do. They do talk. Oh, no, I think one part they do say whatever you put out comes back to you three times or threefold. I do think they use some some variant of that, um, but it's definitely, I mean, they're definitely talking about the Wiccan rape. They're right. saying you never use magic against another person or to impede another person's will and that whatever you put out, you're going to essentially get back. And there is a couple different reiterations of that throughout this book and throughout the second book. That essentially, if you 
And also, if you use magic and anger, that supposedly the act of using magic and anger is going to, like, turn you into a dark witch, which I think is so funny. (laughs) I do, too. (laughs) And I don't like that. I think the thing about that, like, how they have the evil witches, quote-unquote, in this book, it's like, why can't it be... (laughs) less extreme than that and still be a good storyline because black witchcraft exists there's plenty of people that heavily use cursing and hexing in their craft but like instead in this book they're saying like the evil witches (laughs) used their magic to get a bunch of money and power in the town and you're like okay and then the good witches didn't use their witchcraft by choice but they seem to have had a very big house they had a huge house they have they have a very nice shop that makes good money yeah and every and so far every other witch we meet that's also in town Uh seems to have money and own their own business i agree we've got marie with the tattoo shop we've got the woman next door violet i think that sounds right uh or violet is the the daughter but co-owner I think it's Violet and Kara or something like that with the flower shop. So, I mean, the white witches seem to be doing okay. Yeah. So I, but like they make a point to be like, you can tell that they're evil because look at how much power they've amassed. And it's like, well, they seem to be doing about as good as y'all, but I think they might be having more fun than you. (laughs) (laughs) But it seems to me that in life, as well as in witchcraft, as well as in Wicca, and as well as in anything, you're going to cross over between, you know, (laughs) being goody two-shoes or having a little bit of, you know, negative other people call negative feelings. They aren't negative feelings or shadow feelings. You're going to have kind of a little of both. You're going to have a little light and you're going to have a little shadow. Agreed, because honestly, there's only one, well, two instances in the book where you'd see them really doing anything truly evil. Yeah. And neither one really makes sense at all. Because we see Julian use magic to kick a kid into the pool mm-hmm. and have him almost drown, mm-hmm. um, which I think is explained as like him wanting to see if she's psychic and gets a vision about it. Right. Which I, but why though? I don't know. Because obviously if she's part of this family and her father, you know, is a witch because of the legacy, I just feel like that wasn't probably necessary. I don't think so. <laughs> and, and the truth be known. And didn't have any purpose behind it, which I guess they're trying to say they're evil for evil's sake, you know, or whatever. But truth be known, a psychic, you don't know what right? they're going to get for messages. It doesn't mean she's not psychic if she hadn't gotten that message. Yeah. Just meant that wasn't the message that she was supposed to get. <laughs> exactly. So it just it was a weird reasoning that was put in later, seemingly for no apparent reason. Mm-hmm. And then really the only thing that we can conclude at the end of book one is that Julian is probably just mentally unwell. <laughs> Yeah, he seems unbalanced, you know? He seems like he legitimately has mental health issues, which I would not joke about if this was a real person, obviously. But in the case of the book, I don't think the intention was to make this character mentally uh, unhealthy and unstable necessarily, but to make it seem like he's evil and like losing his mind because of that, I guess. It was really confusing. It was very confusing. I didn't understand why the kidnapping occurred. You know, I... 
Yeah, the whole thing, because, yeah, the end, the end is basically Julian loses his marbles altogether and somehow manages to... Oh, and that's another thing that just dawned on me. Somehow, he manages to kidnap the only telekinetic in the book who moves lots of things when she's angry and she's got fucking shovels, she's got hammers, like, they're still working on the house... There's bags of dirt. Like, if she was truly scared and freaked out and probably pissed because Ivy doesn't have a calm temper. True. You would think, like, every which way from Sunday would be flying at this dude's head and she'd be screaming her little head off. And everybody, like the other two, Autumn and Duncan were just in the backyard around the corner. So even if she was able to move a mailbox, a shovel, like, it's going to make noise. So that was a huge plot hole, actually. Well, she wasn't able, they explain, or Ellen explains that she wasn't able to make any vocal sounds because of a spell that was put on her. Oh, right. There was a spell. Okay. But she still was able to move things. And like you said, you still would make a lot of noise moving things. So, you know, if you did the right thing, if you wanted to get attention, throw something at his car for crying out loud. That would make noise. For sure. And also, like, all you would really need to do, but I guess this would go against white witches in the book, <laughs> is she had a, a hand trowel. You'd think if I if I was being taken and I was a telekinetic, that thing would be going through somebody's eyeball. Yeah, instead she put it in his leg. But Like, that would be going through an eyeball. <laughs> or, or someplace much more precious to him. <laughs> True. Like, see, we don't even get any dick action in the way of violence in this book. The penises get zero action here. I love that. I went to eyeballs and you're like, I would go for his dick. That's right. He figures he can live without an eyeball, but he doesn't want to live without his dick, more than likely. So we talked about some of the things that we didn't like, but let's talk a little bit about the things that we did like as well to balance it out. Did you have any part of the book that you were like, okay, out of this book, this was my favorite part, or this part was at least the most enjoyable? I just loved when she did some of the spells and Mm -hmm. as they gathered you know, they gathered all of the tools and all of the things that they needed to make their spells of protection. I think that's oh, yeah, the that one I loved good. the most was in the shop when they were doing the protection spell inside the shop. Yeah. That was very in-depth and very interesting. In fact, I remember I bookmarked it because I thought, mm, I might need this. I don't know. <laughs> you're, you're right. I think, I think I would agree with that pretty strongly because I did really like the caution that they had once it fell. Mm-hmm. All the salts and like not touching it with their hands yeah. and yeah. And gathering everything up that, that whole scene had a really good vibe. Actually, I think that was probably the best described scene in the entire book. I agree. And I loved that scene. I thought that was really good. You got a good point. Like that's a really good book uh, or really good book, really good part of the book. Um, for my favorite part, honestly, my favorite parts of the book were Merlin the cat oh yes that's true. him tormenting brawn i think was my favorite subplot of the entire book that was fun just the cat knowing that brawn hates him mm-hmm. and the cat knowing that he can't do anything to the cat it's so true. he is gonna fuck with him loved that 
I loved him stealing a tie and then just like taunting him with it. <laughs> Are you going to hurt the family familiar? Exactly. I think not. <laughs> Your mother's never going to let you kill me. So good luck, buddy. You're stuck with me. <laughs> yeah, I really loved that. I really loved Merlin and, and his, his little subplot. I also really liked seeing the parts that Ivy kind of takes over the role of teaching. Yes. Because Ivy, in my opinion, has the wonder and the excitement around the craft that I would want from a teacher, whether they were younger than me or not, because she was truly excited about doing even the smallest spell. Yes. Which I think is is really ideal in a teacher because she still had kind of that childlike wonder around being able to make things happen. Mm -hmm. And she got very excited at the idea of being able to share that with a family member. Yes. Yes. And I, I loved their interaction during those times because there was a, just a really cool bonding that they had when they were doing that stuff. So I really liked that part. I liked that too. That was good. Um, talking about pacing, I would definitely say that there's, it's a slower book. It definitely didn't, it didn't hook me in the first few, few pages, really. No, it didn't either. It, it went kind of slow. And I was kind of, I have to admit, her literally falling because of him. Oh, God. I roll. Was, was very uncomfortable for me. Uh, that whole beginning portion, like, I think what made me keep reading was, like, was essentially the fact that that was so weird. It was weird. I don't even know. Like, it's almost, you know, sometimes you watch, like, a you watch a bad movie because it's funny and you kind of want to see how bad it gets. Yeah. Yeah. I think to a certain degree that was the case with that because uh, yeah, as soon as, so they fall into each other, she's bleeding and he's going, well, the least I can do is walk you to your home. <laughs> and I'm thinking stalker. And I'm thinking serial killer. <laughs> Cause I'm thinking she's out jogging early in the morning mm -hmm. And we find out later, no one was awake yet. We don't even know if anybody knew she was out of the house. Exactly. And I swear to God, 80% of females that are taken by serial killers are out jogging when they mm -hmm. get taken. Yes, I agree. And then to boot, like she hasn't been thrown in a van yet. And she's like, well, I'll up my odds by having him walk me to my front door. And know exactly where I live. Exactly. And then he's telling her exactly where he lives, which... I don't care if you run into somebody hot or not. Why are these people so comfortable being like, oh, well, this is my family. So now you know where my aunt works, yes. who my aunt is, where she lives, <laughs> where I live. I think I probably would have been saying Thanks. to him if he had asked me where I lived. Oh, I live in another neighborhood. I just love coming here because of the beautiful houses here, the yeah. architecture. Yeah, and my husband's going to drive by and pick me up any minute. So I'm just going to walk down the road until he finds me. And I usually have my big dog with me. Yeah. But he's in the car because, you know, yeah. he, he hurt his paw. Right. And and uh, we have a lot of big dogs. Uh, we get sued a lot because the dogs <laughs> try to bite people. Frequently, when they get near our yard. Okay, so I think we've given the indication that the we wouldn't paranoid. have been comfortable with oh. that at all. Yeah, I would not be having this dude walk. And I get like they're in a small town, but yeah, no, I've I've watched too many missing persons cases to think that that's a good idea. 
But, you know, the book would have moved so much faster if it had been a serial killer who actually took her and she had to save her own life and with magic she didn't even know she had until then. I'm digging that. That's a book I would read. (laughs) And then she, like, has to kill him with magic and then she has to, like, recuperate because she killed somebody with magic. Yes, yes. I would be so down for... I might have to write that book. That's a better I think book. you should. <laughs> That's a better book, arguably. So yeah, that was like a huge issue I had right from the get. And and he's very blandly described. Oh, yeah. We get very few details. Like, it's just like, yeah, he's a blonde-haired, blue-eyed hunk. Tall. Tall, blue-eyed, blonde-haired hunk. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he's tall. Because they're all tall. <laughs> they're always tall. Just once, I would love for an author to be like, and he was five feet flat. Yeah. I looked down at him. (laughs) Into a sterling blue eye. And just, like, overcome the fact that he was short. Yeah, he was adorable in in some little way. The way his eyes twinkled when he... And then he was really well hung, so she didn't care in the end. That's the book I want. Well, okay, we've come up with a couple of books for you to write. Yeah, so my book will be coming out (laughs) sometime next year of a lovable dwarf (laughs) that's well hung, that is the next door neighbor of the serial killer that kidnaps a new witch. (laughs) Who was jogging. Who was jogging. Never jog. That's really, I think, the the thing. Just don't jog. Anyway, so yeah, right from the get, it's really cliche. They literally fall for each other. They have this spark of electricity she's never felt before because it's their witch energy co-mingling. Their witch energy got more action than they ever do. It's true. It's true. Good point. That's the most action we get is their witch energy (laughs) co-mingling. Shame. Um, but yeah, in, in general, so I did reread a good portion of the book just to get notes and kind of re-familiarize myself with names, but in general, there were no parts of the book that I was like, oh, that's some good writing. I'm going to quote that, or I'm going to save this piece, except for some of the, some of the spells, some of the incantations and the spells, the incantations were a little... A little white and fluffy for my taste, typically. A little kitschy, a little bit newer agey as far as incantations go. But there were still some, they still had some really good ones in there that were, again, peppered all throughout. But in general, like, there's certain books where I feel like I'm just quoting, you know, pieces of dialogue or or pieces of description that I'm just like, wow, that was good. Right. And I didn't really have any standout moments or dialogue in this book that was just really impressive to me no I think the only parts that I again would have bookmarked or taken you know note of was the stuff around the herbs when they're talking about the herbs or talking about the spells those things were really good they were and you would expect that from a nonfiction witchcraft writer to bring that in and she did that really well I feel like that was well integrated yeah again I think if I think there were a lot of parts of the book that just could have been removed or minimized and they could have spent more time 
showing the family feud, showing why this was an issue, and bringing in the mystery plot a lot earlier. Because that mystery plot goes throughout at least the first three books, if not further, and yet we don't even meet Thomas Drake or hear boo about the word grimoire until you're almost like 70% through the book. Right. And then the big kidnapping is a blip. It was. It's like the last few pages of the book. They're like, oh shit, we should have something happen. And then there's all these threats about like, if you don't find this book, I'm going to kill children. (laughs) And I don't remember that. Oh, yes, that's true. Holly or Ivy. That's right. He threatens the twins that something bad's going to happen to the twins. That's true. If he doesn't get this book by the blood moon. Yes. And by the moon's eclipse. And she's like, oh, fuck. And then, and you're going, with this many pages left, they're going to find this fucking book. I know, right. Yeah. Which wouldn't be all that unusual for the subplot in a typical romance book because the bulk of the books are around a relationship growing. Right. So if there's like this weird subplot that they have to find a book and then the last 20 pages, they find the book and everybody is happy and they get married and she's pregnant. Like you're like, yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) That's fine. (laughs) That's kosh. Changes the whole perspective. (laughs) But because the relationship really wasn't the main focus and was really just this kind of subplot, if anything, the fact that we have this new plot introduced right at the end and it's kind of tied in a bow but then the grimoire isn't even found and then in the beginning of the second book you're expecting like the beginning of the second book to be this attack on the twins or something because a lot was threatened and then you find out the moon eclipse came and went and nothing fucking (laughs) happened and they're like well chill we've got plenty of time to find this (laughs) and they aren't like really even like digging up you know the house and right you know looking in cubby holes or whatever like they're not really even that concerned right no i think my main advice which now that she's done so many books she probably doesn't need it but i'm just saying but for new authors what my main advice of of this book would have been is just to close up those holes make it you know move a little you know faster and to fill out the characters yeah there could have been a lot more character development i feel like and just and just getting to know the characters in different interactions i felt like could have been done better and i think part of the problem with that is she went with some very cliche character types Mm -hmm. you know we've got a a stuck-up book nerd Mm-hmm. Um, who's a dick and doesn't really want to talk or, you know, anything with her. And we've got the twins where one's a white fluffy witch and the other one's gothic. So they're, you know, the op- exact opposite of each other. And then we've got Aunt Gwen, the gatekeeper. And Autumn, you know, the student that's trying to balance life and education and right. navigating this new world, which at the end of the day, I think this is a coming of age story for her. Right even though she's working on her undergrad or her graduate. But still, yeah, a lot of those things could have been flushed out more to make it less stereotypical. You know, like Autumn being a part-time stripper to pay the bills would have given her character (laughs) some more interesting points. Or Braun being a part-time stripper. Oh, there you go. I would have liked to have seen Now Braun that would have filled out his character so it would have better. <laughs> and it would have explained the leather later on so much better. You know? 
I think they missed an opportunity there. I agree. <laughs> Which is another point. Like, I feel like she spent so much more time on describing Braun physically than mm-hmm. Duncan. Definitely. Which is weird. <laughs> Definitely. And another weird thing that, again, this is another reason that I, I do wonder if, what was it called? Green Witch Publications or, or whatever it was that publishes these books. Garden Witch Press. I do wonder if that's her publishing company that she created when she started doing these books. And I wonder that too, because A, there were, there were still a good number of grammatical errors and typos throughout the book as you're reading, which doesn't really bother me all that much. It doesn't really pull me out of the story unless it's really weird and I have to reread a sentence a few times. It used to. It used to for me because I was a newspaper editor. So yeah. But but. again, one of the reasons I do wonder if these are self-published by Ellen Dugan, because there's a lot of of issues with the plot line, with the plot holes, Mm -hmm. details like their ages are missing. Other than the twins, we have no idea how old anyone is other than guesstimates based on... Where she is in college and that kind of thing. Where she is in college, the fact that Braun isn't in college and has a career, and the fact that Aunt Gwen has a child bronze age which right. we presume to be 30s yeah. i don't know um and i feel like those things get caught by story editors right because a lot of people don't realize this but there are multiple different types of editors that are involved in professional publishing mm-hmm. So if you have a professional, like, long-term, you know, like Simon Simon and Schuster, for instance, they're going to have an entire team working on any book they put out. They're going to have a proofreader, they're going to have grammatical error checks, and then they're going to have something called a story editor that goes through and works on the story with the author to avoid things like plot holes, to avoid things like poor descriptions or inconsistent descriptions, And so that is the fact that there are no ages, the fact that the descriptions of the people for the most part are pretty lackluster. And then the pacing of the book. Right. Do make me wonder if if Greenwich Press isn't her publishing house. Right. And that isn't as major a concern when you're doing a nonfiction book compared to a fiction book. So her nonfiction is not self-published. For sure. For guaranteed. She's a little well in author. Okay. But again, a nonfiction publishing company aren't going to have story editors no, either. That's what For, I'm saying. Well, yeah. I should to clarify. To some extent. You- well, the thing I'm going to clarify is Llewellyn actually does publish fiction and nonfiction. Though usually you'll see instead of Llewellyn publications, it'll usually say Llewellyn Worldwide on those books. But Llewellyn actually does publish uh, fiction, paranormal. Gotcha. Uh, fi- paranormal fiction books. Which is also a curiosity to me that that she is a professional author and yet it appears that she self-published possibly. Again, this is not known for sure, but that it she possibly self-published. But it's a different publisher. It's 100% a different publisher, yeah. So on a cursory check, I can't find Garden Witch Press. So if this was an actual publishing company, usually a cursory Google would pop up their company website. And the only thing that comes up under publishing Garden Witch Press is Ellen's books. And then there's some like Wicca 101 books that also 
seem to have that. Okay. So I would, I would almost certainly say that it's that not a publishing house. that's going to have all of those. It's not a professional publishing publishing house. Um, and it, it does definitely point toward her self publishing these books, right? which again, nowadays is not uncommon. And the fact that she has a large audience that's established because of her nonfiction work, I wouldn't blame her to self-publish because she's going to get probably yeah, more of her potentially more money out of it yeah. long-term. But it is still interesting to me that Llewellyn didn't want these, her fiction novels as well as her nonfiction or the fact that, I mean, I would presume that she has a book agent working with Llewellyn and that they didn't appear to, to send Take it out. Take that road. Yeah. To, take that road. Honestly, I don't think I'll be continuing the series unless some of you like, unless some of you put in the comments that the series gets so much better and that it's worth, you know, plugging through the first three books. I'm probably not going to continue. I did read the second book after the first to see kind of if there's an improvement. And I do feel like there was a lot of improvement in the second book where you get to know the characters a little bit better. That's good. And there's a little bit of growth and change, but not to the degree that I would probably continue reading. Gotcha. Would you, do you think you're going to continue with the, the series? No, no, I really don't. And it's definitely not a book that I would go back and reread frequently or revisit. Probably it was, there was nothing overly original or unique about the book for me to a point where I'd be like, okay, I'm going to read this series or I'm going to reread this later down the road. I just didn't feel invested in any of the characters. And I think <laughs> probably the one I felt most invested in was probably the dead cop. But anyways, that's just, <laughs> which is a bad sign, which is a bad sign. Cause he was only in there a very short, very short, short amount time. of time. I would have loved to have seen more instances. Yeah. Yeah. Duncan's I kind of liked father. him. I kind of had a feeling like he had a story to tell. Yeah. I would have, that would have been better. Honestly, that comes from a medium, of course. So, you know, what can I say? Wow. You know, I would go with the dead yeah. ghost. I do feel like the title of the book was appropriate, Legacy of Magic, because you're seeing that this is a, right. a family tradition. Mm -hmm. So I do feel like the title of the book is, is well yeah. done, not the genre, but yeah. the title is. I think all in all, she did a lot right. Yeah, she definitely did a lot right. Especially for a first time effort. And especially if she did self-publish. Because if she did self-publish and this is her first book, well, it is obviously her first book. But if she is self-publishing these, I think that shows a lot, really, that she did well as a first time self-publishing yes. author. Because I've seen first time self-published works that are far worse Yes. So, I mean, I definitely feel like she had some people helping her with editing and, and working on that. I just feel like she could have spent more time with, with a good story editor. And I think the book would have ended up being a lot better because of it. Right. But it's still a really fun, cozy read. Right. And I, like we said, it would be fine if, you know, if yeah. you were younger, it would be even more. Yeah. If it was a young adult label, I think that that would have been way more way more appealing and it is interesting uh i'm just looking at some of the reviews on amazon and evidently she does not do any gratuitous or pornographic sex or offensive language in any of her books from the sounds of it according to this person oh okay and it is funny to me but what this book really reminds me of yeah 
especially with the pacing even and some of the story issues. I know where you're going, but yeah. Christian fiction. I knew that's where you were going, yes. It reminds me of the books where it's like Christian romance that, um, yeah, I was raised Catholic and, Mm. and that was something that was pushed a couple times in various times of my youth were these Christian books, books for good Christians. And I feel like this is the equivalency, but with Wicca. Right. This is like the good Wiccan mm-hmm. paranormal romance. We don't need to talk about penises <laughs> or offensive language in order to talk about romance. <laughs> Does not need to be any blood or violence. Paranormal romance. That's that's how I feel about this book, is that's what it reminds me of, is kind of the overly tame Christian fiction, and but this is the Wicca version of it. Right. Well, you know, I, there are different levels of the romance genre. Oh, for um, sure. There's a lot of tears here. And they really should name those slightly different so that you know yeah. the genre is this, that, or, you yeah, know, like or the this, next level. If this was labeled white, fluffy, paranormal. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> because the bulk, the bulk of paranormal romance, which we've been reading for the last 12, 13 years, mm-hmm. is, does have sex in it, definitely. Yes. Does gear toward smutty. Mm-hmm. There's ones that are very well done, but they still have smut in them. Yeah. Even the slow burn ones, you usually get a good pop of <laughs> of sex in there. And a lot of the paranormal romance also does feature various degrees of violence because that's usually, yes. uh, you know, like if you're looking at a vampire paranormal romance, you're expecting there to be some blood spill. Exactly. Or you look at Heather Graham, who does a lot of paranormal romance or paranormal mystery romance. Mm-hmm. And there's almost always, you know, dead bodies that they're investigating or what have you. This book has so many positive reviews, mostly because she, she has, has a, a huge following of her nonfiction work. Because if I didn't know who she was and I'd never read any of her nonfiction, I definitely, well, and I still really label this as like a 2.5 2.75 but I don't even know if I would have continued reading it if I didn't know that she was a nonfiction witch writer I don't think I probably would have finished the book so I do feel like the ratings on this book are a lot more positive than they would have been if she was a first-time author yeah the funny thing is is I finished the book mostly because we have she had to (laughs) Yes, that's what I was just going to say, because we (laughs) have a book book club club. and I was supposed to read it. But I had a different author that was pulling at me that I would rather have read. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, definitely. When I first read this book, again, it was solely because she is a nonfiction writer that I enjoy. And so I did give the benefit of the doubt. And again, I read the second one to see if it got better. Right. They are very fast reads. True. I should say, especially if you're an avid reader. I mean, I got through the first two books and, you know, not that long. It didn't take me very long, like a couple days. But again, I'm not going to continue with the, the series because there are other authors that I think do this genre a lot better, even without the sex, even without the extreme violence yeah, yeah. that just do it better, including another nonfiction writer 
a witch writer, Deborah Blake, that I just realized she has fiction and she has a Baba Yaga series. And those books are far better done than the Legacy of Magic books and still have, you know, some magic, still have some fae in there. So it, there are other, there just frankly are other books that I would read more prefer to read. Right. Well, the books that we were reading, and all of a sudden my brain will Three, there. yeah, it's the Guild's, uh, Guild Codex series by Annette Marie. That's And we amazing. read the first two books in her series, uh, Three three Mages and a Margarita. Yeah. And Druid by, no, something in a daiquiri. Dark yeah. Arts and a daiquiri. Right. And both of those books are amazing. Yeah. Neither one of them have sex. No. In them, neither one of them have extreme violence i mean there's a little violence there's, there's some violence there's but... some violence but i wouldn't say it's extreme. overly no it's not overly described like there is some violence but um for the most part i don't think it would be overly triggering no. i've definitely i've definitely read books with a lot more yeah oh definitely described violence but like they get roughed up like they're you know they're bounty like her friends are essentially bounty hunters so there's definitely some violence involved right but there wasn't any sex. and it There was, was no sex. There wasn't really any... Was there swearing? I don't remember. I That's not something don't I recognize. I don't really notice swearing. I don't recall it. It doesn't, feel, doesn't have that feel to me at I the don't moment. think there was a lot of swearing. If there was swearing, I don't think... I think there, there might have been a little, but not and a lot. to compare to, um, I believe Annette Marie self-publishes. And, you know, that did about. not have, you know... So... I brought that up only so to say is that, you know, it's not like we're not interested in a book because it doesn't have, you know, gratuitous sex or anything. What we look for is that pull, that interest, something that really pulls me to the next book that pulls, continues to pull me through the book to want to read it. And I remember, you know, with those books that I couldn't, I couldn't put it down. I just wanted to finish it. I stayed up until I think like three in the morning morning because I wanted to finish the book. I was enjoying it so much. So yeah. Yeah. Those books are addictive. They're Mm -hmm. like eating candy. I just want to keep going and going and going. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Like, honestly, if we didn't have the book club that we're doing uh, on Facebook, which the links will be down below, then I would probably already be through the entirety of everything this woman has read. (laughs) (laughs) Written? Written. Written. (laughs) And in contrast here, this is interesting too, but again, Annette Marie is another Kindle Unlimited author, and she has dark it so she, her books are published by dark owl fantasy inc but her publishing company has a website and it is so it says dark owl fantasy publishes high quality young adult fantasy books with characters you can't uh you can't help but love which the codex books so this was probably written when she wrote her first series which is young adult um the code the codex is adult paranormal romance to the best of my degree or not paranormal romance. I'm sorry, urban fantasy. Um, but either way, if you look at the books that they publish, it's all just Annette Marie's books. So this is her publishing. Right. So she is self publishing and the books are way stronger. And I don't know if she spends the extra money and has a story editor. That's really good or what have you, or maybe she's just a really talented author, but these books are amazing. They are. And we highly recommend those. All right. So yeah, that was our, that was our take on Legacy of Magic by Ellen Dugan. Dugan. I lost 
part of that name somewhere in my mouth. <laughs> Lost a bit of it. Maybe you want to repeat that. No, that, that, I'm sticking to it. Oh, okay. So please let us know what you thought of this book. How did it strike you? One of the reasons we cho I chose this for the book club was because of the borderline realistic magic that is featured in the book. Mm -hmm. The fact that I do like Ellen Dugan as an author overall for her nonfiction work. And because it really is an easy, cozy read that doesn't really have anything in it that could have been, you know, controversial right. or anything you could really hate about it. Right. So it was a nice, easy introduction into the book club that definitely had witchcraft in it and more realistic witchcraft. So that's the reason I chose it for the book club. Uh, but I would, and it's also one that I think has a lot to talk about because there's things that could have been done better. There were things that were awesome in the book, like the spell work. So please let us know what you think. Is this book overrated? Is it underrated? Were we too harsh? <laughs> Is the series, does the series get a lot better as it goes on? Should we check out, you know, book three, four, five? Are her other series better picks than this one? Uh, what did you think? How was the writing? Yeah, we'd love to hear. Truthfully. We'd, we'd really love to hear and if you have any recommendations for a book that we should feature on the book club later on in paranormal, uh, paranormal romance, paranormal mystery, urban fantasy, anything that involves witches and ghosts and spooks, please let us know in comments or in your review. Or you can also send that to stories at lovelyweirdospodcast.com. And that is lovelyweirdos, plural. <laughs> podcast.com which will also be featured in the description and we hope you have a lovely day thanks for tuning in with us and we'll see you next time at witch's library okay thank you